On October 28, 1989, the horror vanguard boys Ash and John were last seen preparing to record their annual Halloween special. This recording is the last known evidence of their whereabouts. One, two, three. Okay, no problem. Well, you know, now that we're both recording. Um... <laughs> Now that we're both recording, we can start start the episode. Let me adjust my mic. Let me get my placement ready here. Don't want to sound bad on our annual Halloween special. I have my podcasting beverage. Close the hand. Yes, I have an iced coffee from a non-specified coffee retailer. I have a, a really excellent blood orange IPA. That's spooky. That's perfect for the season. I have a abyssally black coffee, so. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Uh, should we? Do, I'll do the I'll do the intro and then uh, over to you for the recap. Yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Horror Vanguard. Uh, my name is John, better known as Liquid Guy, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-ghost Ash. Ash, how you doing? Uh, doing great on this, the holiest day of the year. It is, it is the high holiday of gothic Marxism. It is the Horror Vanguard Halloween special, and I am so excited. This is, oh, this is going to be fantastic. This is the best first annual Halloween special ever. Uh, the first of many, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. I mean, it can't be annual uh, if this is the only one. Yeah, I mean, why would we have called it the annual Horror Vanguard Halloween special if we were not planning to make this an annual occasion. We're not, you know, idiots. We know what we're doing. <laughs> um, so we, we, chose, we chose an incredible film to talk about, uh, and I am, I'm so excited to dig in. It, it, it was such a, it was, a, it was an eye-opening experience watching this film for the first time. We are talking about a legendary piece of horror cinema, the WNUF Halloween special. So, um, before we start talking about this genuine auto work of, work of uh, cinema, uh, Ash, do you want to want to give your typical Halloween inflected plot recap? I mean, it wouldn't be a Halloween special if I didn't. Quite right. Have you ever wondered what beauty is? What is the gossamer essence we seek to imprison when we translate the fluidity of story and scene into a fixed media? Perhaps the answer is not to look towards some absent platonic ideal, but to instead turn our attention to how it is we come to find beauty on the screen. To this end, Henri Cartier-Bresson can give us some insight. It is an illusion that photos are made with the camera. They are made with the eye, heart, and head. And as Ansel Adams once said, there are always two people in every picture, the photographer and the viewer. The same can be said of cinema. The beauty we find in the screen is a beauty we also have in ourselves, a connection our hearts make to an artist we may never meet. Cinematic beauty, then, is the relationship we have to ourselves and with each other. Today's film is an experience of this relationship, as a critic of film, I hope to invite you into this sacred space to join myself and the cinematographer 
as we co-create and experience each other's beauty. Today's film, WNUF Halloween Special, starring Paul Frankenkopf, Aaron Hankin, and Nicolette Lefay, directed, written, and edited by Chris LaMartina, produced by Midnight Crew Studios in 2013. Enjoy. That's right. We are finally dealing with perhaps the work of horror auto cinema, the WNUF Halloween special. Um, for <laughs> uh, I'm I'm sort of struggling how to how to put this 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 experience this this art piece into 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 words. How do I? How, I I'm struggling to find a way of kind of encapsulating everything that we need to talk about. Um, it is uh, perhaps the greatest bit of 80s filmmaking that I can think of. It has some, frankly, jaw-droppingly incredible commercials spliced throughout it. And it is also one of the best haunted house films I've seen in a very long time. Um, so where should we start with the WNUF Halloween special? Um, I think it would be nice to have a little meta conversation about what the WNUF Halloween special is. Because okay. right now our listeners might be thinking this is a normal movie. <laughs> and it is decidedly not. You, you're, I think you are absolutely correct to say, uh, correct when you say this is one of the best 80s haunted house movies. But as our eagle, eagle-eared, as our, as our sharp-eared listeners will notice, sharp-eared? Are they Vulcan? As our Vulcan listeners will notice, uh, or will have noticed, I mentioned that the movie was made in 2013. This is a film, uh, it was filmed in 2013 by Chris LaMartina uh, for a budget of $1,500, uh, but he intentionally made this as an 80s throwback film, and he, and he made this about as accurate as you can be, I, I would suppose, with that kind of budget, to like a, a very 80s VHS aesthetic. This, this looks like a tape someone ripped off of live TV, and then that someone else ripped, and then that someone else ripped, and now we have like this heavily degraded VHS copy of an old made-for-TV special. It kind of reminds me of a lot of the existing copies of things like ABC's The Midnight Hour from 1987 and stuff like that. Mm, yeah. And like, they they were really dedicated to the VHS aesthetic. Like, part of the advertisement campaign was going to a uh, VHS festival, and I think it was uh, Philadelphia. Um, and they left copies, like VHS copies, on, on top of like desks and in bathrooms and kind of just scattered around the festival so people would find copies of this VHS tape and encounter it yeah. as like an authentic VHS, uh, uh, you know, like fan recorded movie in the space where you would expect to find those kinds of things. I think that's really, I think that's, that's a good place to kind of jump in, actually. It is a. Um, loving homage slash parody slash really good example of an old um, 1980s style local TV stations Halloween broadcast. Uh, we get to see the local news, we get to see the local commercials from all the local businesses that advertise on the channel, and then we get the Halloween special where a local news reporter and his producer take a celebrated a uh, pair of supernatural e uh, experts and, and mediums and clairvoyants into a reputedly haunted house. Uh, and and some shit goes down. 
some shit does indeed go down. And like, uh, like I just love every aspect about this film. It's just kind of so good across the board. You know, like, uh, like it's starring uh, Nicolette Lefay. Nicolette Lefay is like an icon for the kind of cinema that I'm into. Like she did Call Girl of Cthulhu, Sociopath, President's Day. And like, like this is just like uh, C, maybe Z horror at its finest. Uh-huh. In into it. Hashtag here for it. <laughs> totally. It's so perfect. It's so on the nose. Like the look is is like like you say, like your 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 uh, uncle recorded this. Uh, from his hometown in like 1990 and it's been sitting on a shelf in the in the rec room for the past <laughs> you know two decades and you just pull it down you put it into the old vcr player and this is what like springs into life um the aesthetic is perfect like the 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 performances are so so good uh, it is really really funny and it manages to like walk that difficult line between like whiplashing really quickly between stuff being genuinely unnerving and scary and stuff being like just a kind of no perfect parody of the 1980s right and even like those parodic elements aren't even really served as parody even like this is so the like the the, um, so straight yeah it's so straight um Uh, yeah, so um, uh, Paul uh, Ferenkopf, who plays uh, the WNUF uh, TV personality Frank Stewart, like, mm-hmm. is, is probably the most parodic character in the whole thing, but he plays it with such honesty, and he plays it so flat and so straight. Oh, yeah, he, he convinces me completely. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and he has a great arc, right, because he starts off as, like, not even a caricature. He's like, this is what a 1980s local news journalist was like. Like, the stuff where they're outside and there's a load of, like, people dressed up in costumes and he's going around the mall asking them if they believe in ghosts. Mm-hmm. And my favorite uh, my favorite is the Dracula at the end that just says, <laughs> what, people, people died here? Yep. That, that's a bit weird, isn't it? Um, and, the, like, the little pauses in between your res- in the response times to everything. Like, and, and the slow realization, they play it so well when he realizes that, you know, maybe there is something going on. Maybe maybe this isn't all just... He's clearly a man who dreamt of making it big on, like, NBC or CNN and mm-hmm. being, like... Being well, like he's, a he's a respectable news anchor. news anchor, and he's being trotted yeah. out for, like, the, 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 the <laughs> local Halloween, like, uh, public access TV bullshit special. Yeah, you know? exactly. And so, at first, the whole thing is completely beneath him. Mm-hmm. He's incredibly rude to the supernatural experts who have been brought in. Uh, there's also a priest there who we will get onto in a minute. Um, and like his slow realization that they were right, that there was something in the house, is just played to perfection. It's so good. Yeah, I just oh man, like like every, every, everybody just acting in this movie is spot on. Like everything about this movie, spot fucking on. Um, and and like 
the costuming perfect like the cinematography how they've framed it how they've how they've um the lighting work the the way that they genuinely do recreate that kind of grainy vhs uh look in the whole thing uh and as i say the, the kind of slightly stilted my favorite thing is like in the opening 10 minutes you get to see the local news report and uh the amazing, like, slightly stilted banter from the two news yep. anchor hosts, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is, like, so painfully accurate uh, that, they're, you know, they're both dressed up in, like, a crappy Halloween costumes and keep making, like, like groan-worthy puns about how, uh, you know, something to do... Anything Halloween-related, there'll be a terrible pun. But it's, like, we've all seen so many local news broadcasts like this. It's... But as I say, it's not even a caricature. It's not even a parody. This is what they're like. <laughs> right, and I think, like, the, the thing that really works for me about this is it tries more to recreate the memory of what that was like than it tries to recreate the actual thing in and of itself. And I think that's why this really succeeds for me, is because, like, I have I have memories. Because, like, a lot of local access TV is pretty dead right now. This is a really grim time if you're into journalism broadly. And, like, you know, we, we've seen these outlets just be strangled left and right, at, you know, especially now as we've, like, round the corner into the 2020s. And, like, but, like, back in the heyday, like, we're, we're talking, like, multiple local access channels per yeah. city. Like, like there, this stuff is everywhere. And so the talent is, is just schmoes from the community and not, like, people who've been groomed by a Sinclair Broadcasting Network. And, like... It, it so accurately recreates all of my memories of watching like like public access local TV stations and all of their like awkward local specials that they would do <laughs> that it just like it slots into my memories almost too well and and that, that that's kind of like it's like a metatextually eerie thing about this film how easily WNUF Halloween special kind of meshes into my own memories of watching like local television Halloween specials and, and seeing like, you know, eighties and nineties Halloween TV commercials. Yes, absolutely. Like this may have been made in what, twenty thirteen? Twenty thirteen, yeah. Twenty thirteen, but no, it has arrived straight from nineteen eighty seven. Like <laughs> it may have been it may have been made then, but it was it was created. It was birthed in nineteen eighty seven. It has arrived from the from the late eighties. Um, and I totally agree with you about about like it tr- like even as someone who did not grow up in the states who has never spent time in the states I'm like I'm still so culturally aware of like public access television from just like films and TV shows from the states yeah that all of this is like I I, I watch and be like yeah this is this there is no, there is no kind of mockery here this is exactly what it was like and I think that even um, goes um... I suppose. Sorry, go on. Oh, I was going to say, that, that goes right down to, like, how Chris LaMartina filmed this, right? Yeah. Uh, like, this this was shot on vintage tape stock from the 80s, and when the final cut was made, they fed it through a, a VCR and a tape recorder multiple times to degrade the film and to give it a lot of, like, actual, like, the actual degradation you would achieve if you just copied and copied and copied a tape over and over and over again. Hmm. Yeah, it looks like something that's been taped and taped and taped. You know, it, it's got this kind of 
it's it's an urban myth the WNUF Halloween special, mm-hmm. and it's an urban myth that's been deliberately constructed to look as if it's come from the past, and it's it's as you say it's eerily convincing even down to the commercials. Those commercials are so good. Let's take a moment to talk about those commercials and what what the hell commercials even are and how they function in the context of this film. Okay. Okay. So, so for listeners who have not seen the sh- seen the WNUF Halloween special, can you can you maybe kind of give some context here? Why are we talking about commercials in a a feature length film? So as as we've mentioned, the WNUF Halloween special is. It's meant to. It's a found text f- bit of fiction, right? It's meant to feel like, oh, you just stumbled upon this tape that someone made, like they were recording live TV, and now you have the tape in your hand, and you get to watch this bit of a live, uh, like, uh, public access, um, like Halloween special for local TV. Uh, and through that, we also have like period commercials. That that come that are inter that would be interspliced with news during Halloween, and we get like we get ads for things like Parents Against Partying, Phil's Carpet Warehouse, uh, something uh, <laughs> Stacia tampons, uh, a, a commercial for a gubernatorial race, and uh, of course we we can't forget uh, one of our favorite establishments that's right across the street from the crypt, the Shining Trapeze Strip Club. I mean, like oh, yes. I don't I don't I edit all of my episodes there, so. Where there are girls, 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 <laughs> and and yeah, that, that's that's the attitude that these commercials get. So as we're watching this, like some bits of the commercials are fast forwarded through, you know, we 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 see some commercials in their entirety, and they've all got like like that local TV flavor to them, that '80s flavor, you know. Uh, the big news in the in the local township is the pizza parlor and games arcade is now open. <laughs> Oh man, it's so good. And we can't we can't forget the laser brigade. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, Galaxy Pilot and the Laser Brigade. <laughs> uh, which is which is the local WNUF uh Saturday Sunday afternoon sci fi sci fi show, which looks genuinely amazing and is my favorite adaptation and version of Star Trek ever made. <laughs> and it feels like um yeah, Galaxy Pilot and the Laser Brigade, uh, like like the aesthetic of that, one hundred percent maps onto like the first season of Mystery Science Theater three thousand that was uh, played on uh, KTMA TV, which is now yes. uh, WUCW Minneapolis, and like like it's it's the, it's the exact same thing where it's just a bunch of like it's like a, it's very obvious hokey cardboard sets and miniatures and everything looks like what you would expect for a station called KTMA-TV, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, my favorite commercial, I have to be honest, I, I had two favorite commercials. There was um, Sarcophagus, <laughs> the, uh, the horror film about the mummy that ends yep. up in the, in the big city. <laughs> uh, and I think, we should do a hor- I think we need to do a Horror Man God episode on Sarcophagus. You know, we could do um, an entire episode on Sarcophagus. I do not think that's a stretch. I, I, I don't think that's a stretch at all. And my other one was the advert for the local oil company, <laughs> which is full of like, we believe in caring for the environment and minimizing pollution, uh, but one of the dangers to the environment is unavoidable accidental oil spills. <laughs> yeah. 
But my favorite thing about that amazing, amazing commercial is that, like, there are energy companies now which um, are releasing commercials which do not feature, like, their logo or a description of what they actually do mm-hmm. anywhere in them. Yep. Um, so uh, we need to do an episode on sarcophagus. The, the oil company advert is weirdly prophetic, and I think possesses some dark meme magic which has warped reality somehow um and the commercials are great they've got that kind of lo-fi grainy aesthetic all of the actors don't re- look like they don't really know what they're doing <laughs> the soundtracks used in the commercials the jingles are all just just so perfect just so tonally perfect so aesthetically perfect um I love the commercials. The commercials are just one of my favorite things about this entire film. Yeah, my my favorite commercial is the there's a there's a reoccurring commercial that has a couple spots, and it's the local dentist who yeah. who's who's doing his <laughs> cash for candy campaign, and like the the actor yeah. who's playing the dentist is just so earnest, and and, he, and he's, he's like, just, oh, this he sells the hell out of it, right? And, and he, he's just like, like, oh, this this candy is awful. It's ruining children's teeth. For every pound of candy you bring in, I'll give you a dollar. And like, like he plays it so straight and he plays it so sincere that I'm like, did they cast an actual dentist who at one point held these views for this role? I think they did. I'm I I 100% believe they did. To be honest, I don't. I I'm still mostly convinced that WNUF uh, was a real TV station when this <laughs> actually aired in the, in the 1980s. And you're just lying to me about it being done in 2013. Right. Well, we'll have to we'll have to ask Bob Krieger, who played uh, Doctor Stanley Allen DDS in uh, WNUF. Uh, I believe Bob Krieger is not his real name, and they just reversed that. You know, oh, that's like that's, that's like an Dr. Alan Stanley Smithy. Allen, oh, yeah, Allen. Doctor Allen. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is like the most meta fake shemp I've ever seen. That's awesome. Um, no, the dentist is so good. What's a dentist's worst nightmare? Halloween is a dentist's worst nightmare. <laughs> Um, so what do you what what do you think about the inclusion of the adverts with the special? So I think this this, this brings us on to a really interesting discussion that is prescient to this film and I think contemporary cinema and cinematic culture, right? And that is the kind of uh, the hard to traverse distinction between commercial art and commercials as art, right? Mm. Because we have this really interesting space where in order to film a commercial you need to be a competent competent cinematic artist to a certain extent right you need to yeah. know how to frame a shot you need to know how to do lighting right you need to know how to direct right you have to put together a cinematic piece at the end of it even though if it's just like what what would under any other context be 30 seconds of b-roll of a truck driving around a pristine mountainside or something and then you have kind of the other side of this equation where you have commercial art, which is like, you know, Michael Bay cut his teeth doing the Got Milk commercials, and now he's just like doing all of these just ludicrous action films. And you have things like the Marvel movies, which are effectively a gigantic commercial landscape. Like they're, they're Disney products, right? Like the Marvel movies exist because Disney wants a larger portfolio and the Star Wars movies are part advertisements for Disney's theme parks. All of these things kind of like, these spaces collapse in on each other, right? And the Disney movies function 
not not just as movies anymore. They're they're now advertisements for a larger Disney product line. Mm, yeah, completely. We have to kind of reckon with the fact that, um, you know, people like Mark Herzog back in the sixties were talking about art, uh, possessing some potential to be an autonomous realm from the economic, and that distinction just doesn't exist anymore. You can't you can't say that there is no such thing, or is there there is a kind of uh, sphere outside of which, um, you know, we can't be gotten to, because we absolutely can, as you say, like all of the most successful cultural products are are judged on their success based on their revenue. Mm-hmm. That's the artistic standard, right? Is is what can they sell? Um, and I think that's that's uh, also to sell to to make something that is saleable. You do have to be a competent. Um, filmmaking artist, you have to be able to, to compose a narrative, you have to be able to generate um, affective impacts really quickly um, and amazingly all of these local commercials just show they have that kind of sheen indelible mark of uh, incompetence that, is, that makes them <laughs> less kind of irritating and more like just deeply deeply charming and, and amazing uh, I think the Phil's Carpet Place is another one that I'm going to be thinking about for a long time. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, I think a big part of that is that you know the the landscape of advertisement changes, right? And advertisements stop being effective once people can start to recognize them as ads. And so this nineteen, this late '80s, early '90s aesthetic for advertisements, where it's like, like come down to the Shining Trapeze Strip Club, we've got girls, 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 right? Like that, like if you saw that ad, you, you know, you would automatically assume that that's a metatextual piece of humor, right? That that's something ironic. Yeah, that's that's a gag. That's yeah. someone that some some wacky ad guy is like, let's do a bit. Right, and like you see, you wouldn't you wouldn't absorb it as an ad. You would absorb it as like, oh, that's a kind of an a- anachronistic gag they're doing, right? And mm. so when we go back and we look at these advertising aesthetics, right, we can now because they've lost kind of that advertising power, right, that they used to wield. And now we can look at them and renegotiate and reabsorb their aesthetics and find new ways to use them. And it's like we, we haven't, like the Disney movies are the most cutting-edge advertisement on the planet. You know, and when I say the Disney movies, I'm specifically talking about the Marvel and Star Wars films. Yeah. And, like, we haven't quite figured out how to deal with that yet, right? Because one of the things that's part of that is you have so much astroturfed fan base. And there are certainly people mm-hmm. that are fans of these films, obviously, right? And the films have a lot of cool things to talk about and a lot of interesting things going on. I'm not, like, dismissing them whole cloth here. But, like, there are a lot of, like, like incredibly suspicious, high-profile, like, YouTube and podcast shows that do, like weekly glowing reviews of every Disney product, every Disney advertising campaign, every Disney tie-in, and then they get suspiciously invited to all the new openings of everything, and they get suspicious early access to stuff. And it's very obvious that they're in the pocket, right? But, like, a lot of people don't process that, and so that, as an advertising method, is incredibly effective. But maybe 20 years from now, you know, that'll have lost its power, and it can be reabsorbed as an aesthetic. Yeah, and I think these 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 adverts where they're just being very direct. Here's the business, and here's what we sell. Um, are, are that contribute to its sense of nostalgia, but also because what they're selling, the the product, mm-hmm. the, the subject of the advert, 
you look at it and go, oh, really? There's there's one where they're like, come and learn how to do computers. The computers are the technology yep. of the future. Learn floppy like, oh, disks. Yeah. Oh, man. I remember that. <laughs> yep. Uh, there's another one where they're like, uh, come and get this incredible program that will do your taxes for you on five separate disks. <laughs> so, not only is there, are they aesthetically nostalgic, it's like the product, the actual, you know, they kind of harken back to uh, a less, um, I don't want to say less damaging, because that's not quite true, but a less kind of aggressively intense capitalism where, you know, you could actually buy a product and it would work for more than three years until they expected you to pay the nineteen ninety nine to upgrade, or, you know, you would actually buy a product and own it from then on. You would make one purchase. You wouldn't make mm-hmm. a purchase and then yeah. rent a, a, a service from month to month. So I think that's also part of the reason why the commercials in this feel so nostalgic and feel so kind of endearing. And I think I think another big part of it is is this, this aesthetic exists pre-social industry, Mm, yeah, absolutely. And that, that that creates this massive shift where now, like, I mean, like, we're all, uh, when, when like, uh, uh, restaurant, chain, chain restaurant accounts started tweeting as if they were people, like, when that uh, first started happening, everybody ate that up like candy. Yeah, right? but Every, now Everybody was retweeting that and be like, oh, my God, Wendy's is so epic with their th- smackdowns or whatever, right? And then, like, but now it's already gotten to the point where, like, okay, like, that's kind of fucking cringy that Wendy's and Burger King are tweeting as if they're people. That's a little disgusting. Yeah, it's a, isn't it? Isn't it a little bit sad when Sunny Delight is is tweeting like sad? Is sad posting? Yeah, yeah. And then like Burger King will comment and they'll be like, "Hey, man, you need to take some time for you. Self care is really important. You should take these issues seriously." And this is just like the most twisted shit in the world because these are like marketing interns or somebody who are just tweeting this stuff and it's just absolutely surreal so these these commercials in the in the wnuf halloween special are both kind of nostalgic and at the same time uh they're they're nostalgic in their aesthetic and they're nostalgic in this this idea of like maybe sometimes brands didn't need to be your friend they just wanted to sell you stuff right and there's something there's something that's kind of like disarming about that right there's something there's something a little like more comfortable when when a brand is like hey i'm the local mattress king and i want to sell you a mattress come on down to the mattress hut you know like there's something yeah it's not it's not mattress hut sending you sponsored posts on instagram going have you had enough water to drink today? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it's. You know your yeah. friends care about you. <laughs> and like like that like I can see that aesthetic getting successfully parodied in like ten or twenty years, you know, and you know, and some future WNUF that's like oh come on like like Schlappy's chain burger restaurant is like we like know s- that sending feel. you DMs. <laughs> yeah, we know that feel, man. You don't have to be sad. Come have a burger on us. Big mood. <laughs> You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Zizek's point about the way that your boss has changed. Mm-hmm. So, like, historically, your boss would be the kind of, like, managerial tyrant where you would go in and he would tell you exactly what to do, and if you didn't like it, well, tough, that's your boss, and you have to do as you're told. And, and that, not only is that a more honest relationship, that's easier to resist, because at least you have, the, yeah. you have the privilege of being allowed to hate your boss. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, of course, in contemporary capitalism, your boss is your friend. Your boss comes in and wants to know, hey, did you have a good weekend? How, how are things? And, and Zizek's like, this is disgusting. 
<laughs> right? And this he's is, totally this right. This is horrifying. Because and, uh, you don't even get you don't even get you don't even get the luxury of hating your own boss anymore. Right. And Oh go on. Because your boss is supposed to be your friend. And it's like do you remember when brands just tried to sell us stuff? Yep. And we could get we had the luxury of being able to ignore them or think that they were terrible. But now it's like you know, I can't can't complain because that's gonna make Wendy's sad. Right? And like like, like, Zizek's point is totally right, because, like, like anybody who's worked any job with, like, a fucking middle manager above you is going to be familiar with the whole, like, John, I've been meaning to talk to you about your attitude here at the Horror Vanguard family. You know, I don't see us as a business. I, I see us as friends. And I think my door is always open, and you can talk to me if anything's wrong. You know, like, like and that is just fucking horrifying. That is disgusting, because it is the most, like saccharine anti-working class shit that is out there yeah you don't even get the you don't even get the privilege of 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 hating the brand of of resenting them mm-hmm. for trying to exploit and emotionally manipulate you into spending money so yeah the wnuf halloween special it's like uh remember that remember that when of course these are all local businesses as well there are no national chains being advertised here all the local businesses of like people that maybe you knew or like right your it feels scrappier knew. yeah exactly um and it feels like a potential look at something that never that maybe never could have existed and never and can't exist now you know um, right yeah and especially because the reality was that like in the 80s and 90s a lot of these commercials would have been mcdonald's and burger king and and yeah, yeah. national chain and global chains they would like, have been Coca-Cola's uh, Halloween special and like stuff yeah. like that. The WNUF the, Halloween special, sponsored by Pepsi. Yeah, yeah, it's sponsored by Pepsi Company. You know, drink Pepsi, have fun. Like it would that, that would have been the thing we would be hearing over and over again. And this is kind of uh, washed from that in a way that's just incredibly fucking satisfying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, to to kind of t- take that as a jumping off point, I think there's something good and something really powerful about that, right? Because this absolutely defangs that kind of corporate aesthetic, and th- this yes. is this is reaching into our past and going like, hey, like, you know who made those commercials? And I mean, like, I- I'm not suggesting that this was Chris LaMartina's intention, but like, I think this is absolutely within the text of the film. But it's reaching back to these aesthetics and and, and kind of saying to us like, hey, you know who made these commercials? You know who did those effects? You know, you know who did the lighting? You know who framed these things? The working class. You know, it was yeah, it was working-class filmmakers, working-class talent, working-class on-screen putting together these advertisements. This art is ours. It's our aesthetic to do with what we please. And this film is, it's, it's, very, it's very situationist. Uh, everyone tick your situationism boxes. Uh, the Mark Fisher <laughs> box will be ticked momentarily, I assure you. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. because it allows, it allows for that process of kind of... Um, exposing the, the, the kind of emptiness of, of this kind of corporate behemoths and their attempt to, to, you know, graft human skin onto their glistening maw and go, look, we're just like you. We too are depressed millennials with no money. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you see these commercials, you go, hang on. Yeah, it wasn't always like this, was it? Right. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even think about that. But it also, it reminds us of our history, right? Like time, time is so increasingly compressed that this this reminds us that like just twenty short years ago things were so much different. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I guess I guess that means we have to talk about the other thing that we are now contractually obligated to talk about <laughs> on every episode of Horror Vanguard. I mean, we have to cash these checks from from the Mark Fisher Publishing estate somehow. <laughs> Rapina Books is the is the big money behind <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> well, yeah, that that and the I, I guess the, what like the Guy Debord estate. Like I don't know. <laughs> I don't, the big 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 situationists fund this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, we, you know, the right, the right have PragerU, which is funded by the Koch brothers. Um, the left has Horror Vanguard, which is funded by Repeater Books. The 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 estate of Guy Debord. Right, and, and, the, and the seven dollars yeah, that's in the Situationist International Fund right now. Yeah, and the Institute for for um, Surrealist Research in Paris. That's it. Those are our, those are our big money donors, and that's why if you want to support the show. You should go to patreon.com slash horrorvanguard and get access to our book club episodes and early access to every single episode that we release, all for the low, low price of just a few dollars a month. For what you spend Sorry, on a know, cup of coffee, I don't know what you can help there. us. Um, just, yeah, just the, just the, the spirit of, <laughs> of something just possessed me for a moment. You know, it's, it's um, the spirit of the season. It's the spirit of Halloween, because we are, we are going door-to-door to our listeners right now with our little pumpkin buckets... <laughs> And we're, we're, we're knocking, and we're putting on our spooky podcaster costumes, and we're going like, hey, man, for just the cost of, hey. of a couple bars of Twix a month, you, you can help me keep the lights on. Yeah, absolutely. You can, you can help us keep the, the, the lights on in this entirely non-visual medium <laughs> uh, and pay for our audio hosting, which is actually uh, uh, something that we do have some support for, and we're very grateful but if we are talking about if we are, if we are talking about a sense of time, if we are talking about uh, if we are talking about um, the way in which the past can often serve as a as a as a point to to contrast with the future, then um, we're talking about Mark Fisher. We're talking about hauntology, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I really like the way that you put it just before we started recording that this is hauntology not movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel like this is one of the most hauntological horror texts possible, almost. Like, I feel like this is doing everything in its power to really, like, dialectically engage with with hauntology from both a Derridian point of view and a Fisher-esque, Fisherian? I don't know, you're, you're, the, Fisher, you're the Fisher guy. What is the adjectival Fisher form? <laughs> the fish uh, man. Fisher... The Fishman, <laughs> the creature from the Black Lagoon school of philosophy. <laughs> right, and I think like I think you know, because obviously we've been talking about how this film is reaching back into our past and remixing and recontextualizing these things that, in their moment, were manipulative and, and you know poisonous, and mm. representing them as something joyous and fun and ours now, ours to have fun with, ours to use on our terms. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is no kind of shock of the new here but what we're shown is just the kind of joy and affects of the past that was systematically stripped out of it by the kind of grinding uh gray horizon of capitalist realism by the enroaching um machine of destruction that was reaganite and that's right politics that of course absolutely endangered public uh, access television as well right 
Oh yeah, I mean like, the, so the war on public access television is is just been ongoing in the greater media landscape, right? Like public local access television is an enemy to to hegemonic control, right? Yeah. If, if you have people that are able to, on their local ind- levels, think about themselves and kind of present their own ideas and discuss themselves, that means they can gain awareness and they can gain power. But if you have, yeah. I mean, like Sinclair Broadcasting and Disney own so much of the media landscape we're exposed to, it's, it's just asinine to consider that. Like Zardoz is a Disney movie now. Oh, God. Yeah, I think Zardoz was just because Disney just placed a bunch of old Fox holdings in the vault, the quote-unquote Disney vault of movies that they just over, they artificially inflate the price on. Uh-huh. And, like, boom, there goes there goes Zardoz, there goes so much, so, so many other films that, like, because Disney can theoretically turn a buck one day off of those, we're never going to get to see them ever again in any context. Right, because now um, if you wanted to, to do a local showing, you'd ha- you have to go beg the mouse. <laughs> uh, I have said this before and I will say it again, that given that corporate uh, hegemonic control over popular culture, it not only is it, is it fine, it's like morally justifiable to pirate all of their content. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. You should not be. You should not be paying for Disney. Never Plus. spend money on Disney shit. And if you and if you do spend money on Disney shit, make sure it's secondhand. <laughs> yeah, don't wash don't, it at least once if you can. Disney. Don't pay for Disney Plus. Steal it. <laughs> yeah. And then like, and then fucking salute. W- wake up in the morning and give a proud patriotic salute to to the internet pirates who paid for that subscription just so they can get the content for you. Yeah, those are true comrades. Because right. if you have decided to pay for it, you should make that available to as many people as possible. Um, but this is the point, right? In the in the in the kind of era of, of ever increasing corporate control of even the local media, even of local production, something like the WNUF Halloween special is kind of a marvel that it even exists, mm-hmm. um, and that it's 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 something that kind of reminds us of the kind of tactile technology of the time that could, that can be used to such great effect as well. That kind of whole VHS aesthetic really. Like, if they filmed this in, like, you know, uh, aiming for, like, fidelity of image, this would not work. Yeah, this would not work as a 6K special. No, it would look cheap. It would look, look, uh, like, clumsy. It would look Mm -hmm. like it wasn't really... Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But because they've given given it and they've used, like, the, the, the technology of the time, they've used the aesthetic of the time... Like they really do create something that's that's so convincing. And I like like I think that's a that's a good jumping off point to talk about the technology of, of behind this film. And I think that this also speaks to like the hauntological context under which we exist, right? Because one of the one one of like like the key aspects of hauntology is is the futures that we've lost. Right, all of yeah. all of the future possibility that's just been sunk, and we're forced to live with ghosts of things that have never, could have never existed, or rather could yeah. have existed, but instead do not. And I think that this film really kind of deftly navigates that space, right? Because, like as we mentioned at the top of the show, Chris Lamartina, director, writer, producer, <laughs> uh, shot this on tape, right, and then took those, t- and then and then published it on VHS recopied those VHS tapes just to get that natural grain and that natural wear that, that only shows up in analog material and then distributed at a VHS convention. 
right? It's, there's so much dedication to using that that medium authentically, right? Like he could have absolutely just filmed this thing on a smartphone, which which has fine enough quality, right? And then went into After Effects, bought like a hundred dollars worth of VHS and analog plugins, and then slapped it together that way. Yeah, absolutely. But instead, it looks like it was actually cut with a video toaster, which I don't know if that's what he used, but he very well could have. I think there's um, the uh, Scanline series that um, Shannon Strucci, who was a guest on our special crossover episode, which is the struggle session, makes with H. Bomber Guy, where they talk about the aesthetic of impact of, of the VHS tape um, and the fact that lower fidelity does not mean an inferior product and we have to get over this obsession with constantly wanting higher fidelity higher realism higher uh, clarity of image because actually like I say if we if we if we had like a hd release of this it would look awful like oh man yeah the blu-ray look... remaster would suck so hard so we um we have to get over this kind of obsession with with desperately trying to get to, 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 to more and more fidelity, more and more resolution, more and more higher higher image quality, just because like, it would take away so much of what makes this such a great piece of, of, of visual media. And I think like that, this, this kind of like, because that, that aesthetic, right, not the aesthetic of VHS, but the aesthetic of high fidelity, right, is, is, exists in service only to capitalism. And I think that that is something that's kind of hard to accept as, as artists and as creators of, of content, right? Because like, mm-hmm. we want the highest quality audio and the highest quality video and the shiniest newest stuff. But like, and this this is especially problematic in like like the greater like cinematography and camera scene, right? Because like the meaningful space between twenty three and twenty six megapixels is non-existent. Yeah. Right, like, like no one, no one will ever notice unless you're like super dedicated, like, like tech spec nerd, and you're examining things in Lightroom, looking for like very subtle chromatic aberrations or something. You're never gonna see a lot of this quality difference. And like yeah, a really, no. really good modern example of this is the uh, remake. Is this? I swear, Gemini Man is a remake, right? I just, I, I really feel that it's either it was either a remake or it was in production hell for a thousand years, because <laughs> it just it feels I sus- dated. I suspect the second one. Right, but so so Gemini Man just came out. Gemini Man is shot with like, like Ang- Angley, uh, director of Gemini Man, is a fan of using like 120 frames per second shooting with like super insane 3D IMAX rigs and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. like, Gemini Man is where it's at if you want, like, the highest possible fidelity cutting-edge cinema. And the movie's trash. It's kind of just bombed. Yeah. No one likes it critically. It's just not very good. And then the goodness of a product has no relationship to the, the quote-unquote high technology used to produce it. And in fact, like, to, to use a video game example, the first Silent Hill game... <laughs> a bit of a jump. But the first Silent mm-hmm. Hill game is really successful because when they were making the game, they couldn't render all of the buildings and monsters and characters at once because the original PlayStation just wasn't strong enough to handle what they were envisioning. And so like, what's a cheap, quick workaround that's believable when you can't see everything at once? Shitloads of fog. 
And so they just put tons of fog everywhere in the game. And the game is so haunting and so terrifying because there's just fog everywhere, right? And then, like, as we get into, like, modern survival horror games that are on, like, the PS4 and they have enough juice to render Eternity, it just doesn't work. You can see everything coming a mile away. Like, you lose the tension. You lose the confined space. Yeah. Yeah, because you suddenly have absolute fidelity. And I think you're completely right that this drive towards... You know, you need the most realistic thing. You need the latest uh, piece of equipment. Is absolutely a kind of capitalist impulse designed to make sure that you're constantly upgrading technology that probably still works fine and you know is is going to be completely uh, the difference is going to be completely negligible to anyone who isn't like a massive technological specialist. But I also think that it's it's well worth pointing out the fact that there's something kind of um, strange about this drive to kind of perfect sight because like so much of horror especially depends upon what you could have seen what you might mm-hmm. have seen what was what was lurking in the shadows what was what was just out of frame and was maybe like a blur on the on the edge of your vision and like these perfect technological tools will kind of give you perfect sight it's a it's a it's a drive to get rid of our own fragility you know to perfectly be able to capture something yeah is in some ways to give ourselves a great deal of power and if there's one thing that this um halloween special does so well it's the slow build towards um realizing that what you see is not necessarily what's there and what is there is maybe not really what you've seen uh you know it happens really quickly at first like uh, the reporter maybe catches a glimpse of something in an upstairs window when the house is supposed to be empty, and there are these really impactful moments where the the um, the medium couple is clearly based on Ed and Lorraine Warren. Oh, clearly, yes. <laughs> uh, and they have a cat, uh, and the cat ends up being brutally murdered. And there's this like great, like quick cut where you just see the remains of the cat, and the camera kind of pulls away quickly. Like a cameraman's pointed at it and it's just gone, oh, I know. Um, and if that was a really high quality camera, you would see that that was just like crappy makeup and it, crappy it, was, special it was a effects. toy that they bought at the thrift store covered in yeah. red acrylic paint it, or something. It, yeah. It, it, yeah, covered in ketchup. Yeah. But because this is like low fidelity, grainy images, like that's really creepy and it gets in your head and it creates this image which stays with you. Um, so I think I think you're right that like this constant like we have a weird relationship to technology now and it is a kind of deeply capitalistic one. We talked about this in our uh, episode with Richard Seymour, and it's also one that's driven I think a great deal by fear. Um, we want to be able to observe everything in perfect detail because that gets rid of risk. Uh, yeah, and I think um. So kind of two things going off of that that I find really interesting about this topic is that a lot of this is couched in biological terms, right? Like we're constantly trying to yeah. to achieve a, like like in, in terms of computer generated effects, we want things to be quote unquote photorealistic, even though like, um, I think we've done this in previous episodes, but like, like photorealism is impossible. It's not something you can actually achieve because and of their- it's not something you really want. <laughs> right, it's not something you want. And like, it's also not how humans see Right, yeah. we don't like our eyes don't see in frame rates. We have a steady stream of visual information. We don't see in frames, 
right? Like our eyes don't have focal planes like a camera will. Like focal planes are for, um, I guess, people who might not be aware. Uh, when something like let, let's say there's a person in the foreground and they're really sharp, and then the background is really blurry around them in a in a photograph, that's because uh, cameras can only focus on certain things at once, right? Uh -huh. And that's kind of a, a, a limitation that the technology of of cinema and film has. But that's not how you see, right? Your eyes snap immediately when when you when you change focal like quote unquote focal planes with your vision. You, there is zero latency. You snap immediately to refocus on whatever you're centering in your field of view. You don't actually experience that kind of bokeh. And that's something that we're like, that this kind of capitalist terminology is always trying to couch things in, right? It's always trying to be like, oh, we're trying to, to recreate how you see. And so you get trends like HDR photography, which is just, you know, it's finally becoming a little gauche to do HDR images because they look super unnatural because they're trying to recreate yeah. that sense of like, like your foveal vision is literally just whatever you're looking at and you snap to it almost immediately and there's virtually no lag. And it's trying to recreate that somehow, but it always just kind of looks unnatural and weird. And like, it's just because it's not how eyes work, but capitalism wants you to think that its toys can, can do something like that. And I think yeah. I, would, I would connect this to another previous Horror Vanguard episode. And that's our episode uh, with Nestor of uh, the, the late show Black Banner Magic, right? Our episode on Harvest mm -hmm. Goth, right? Like a WNUF Halloween special is the most Harvest Goth movie, right? It is, it is so comfortably not only using all of these dated aesthetics, but it uses dated technology. It uses a dated budget of just $1,500 to make a film like this. You know, and like like everything about it is is recycled and old and dated, and but it's wearing this stuff with pride. It's wearing this stuff as if it were new. Yeah, and I, I, I genuinely I think the fact this was made for a budget of fifteen hundred dollars is jaw droppingly incredible. Like that that's that is just baffling to me how they've managed to get so much for so little. And they've uh, yeah, done I'm it, and they've just done it, so into it. <laughs> and they've done it using using this uh, technology which has been declared obsolete but it's managed to create something that is both a, a kind of uh, eerie uncanny resurrection of an entire decade and it's the damn good ghost story a damn good haunted house movie because it builds expertly and like this has got a genuinely brilliant like last 10 minutes where everything just kind of ramps up a notch. Yeah, the clo the close of this movie is just so fantastic, and it's so unexpected too. Like, yeah, like the, I was Sorry, just go I was just gonna say that the film is really good at balancing what I think in other movies I would call a tonal inconsistency, because all all of the commercials are absolutely tongue in cheek. All of the commercials are so aware that they're aping on this old style. Mm -hmm. uh, but but giving you something comical and giving you something strange, right? And like like the movie as as an entirety is kind of aware of that, and there's a lot of like jabs that feel uh, self aware in parts of it. But like that, the ending is just so one hundred percent on the level. It is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Because as we said, like if this is a satire, it's a satire that's played so straight. It's played so um, perfectly level that you 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 don't notice the fact that like 
some of this is really funny and it switches so quickly to like expertly kind of milking every bit of tension out of two guys wandering around an abandoned house with a camera right like, that's it i don't know if it's the scene where we find the cat's body but i think um like our, our wnuf host throws to commercial after after one of the gory bits and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, quickly, cut, cut to something, cut to something. And then, like, the, the, they cut to another extended segment with the, the dentist talking about how he wants to help teeth and all that stuff. <laughs> and, like, it is, it's, it's, it's really unsettling when you see, like, the mutilated body of that cat just for a split second, right? Because it gives you enough to kind of imagine and be in that moment and be terrified with everybody else. But then, like, mm. the throw, that just that quick throw to commercial, like, that feels like live TV, that feels like live yes. local news when something bad happens. They they would just like like quickly cut, throw 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 and like they just boom. You get like a commercial. You get like the B roll for like the the segment they shot beforehand coming in because they gotta throw something on the screen. They're not gonna cut to like one of like the card inserts of technical difficulties, right? And it just it feels so real, even though the segment it's cutting to is really funny. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but there's also a later segment where they they. Um... So the journalist takes takes the priest down to the basement to try and do an exorcism, and they end up getting lock, locked in. And there are these yeah. like incredibly creepy noises occurring. The mic obviously isn't very good, so there's all kinds of distortions in the background. And they go, "It's got commercial." Uh, his producer is in the van outside, and he's like, uh, "We're going to go to commercial." And he's like, "No, no, we've got to stay on this. We've got to stay with it." Mm-hmm. So they actually undercut it and stay with the tension even longer. Yep. Uh, and that's when we find out that our priest is not really a priest at all, but just an actor that's been hired to come mm-hmm. into this house. <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah, I really love I really love the way that it balances that tonal um, uh, contradiction between is this a kind of uh, comedic pastiche, a loving a loving kind of poke at the old nineteen eighties Halloween specials, or is it? Halloween special from the 1980s and the answer is it's both and it manages both, to be yeah. both so mm-hmm. perfectly just just absolutely like like the, this film is just beyond fantastic I saw this a number of years ago and I am just like I'm so head over heels for this film I recommend this to like everybody like this is easily one of my favorite movies it's so good um, if you are looking for a Halloween film if you're looking for a cult a new cult classic Please do you think about watching it? It is, it's it's so it's funny, it's creepy, it says some really interesting things about technology. Um, you know, if you are someone who grew up in the states or grew up watching like late night public uh, local TV stations for their crappy sci-fi shows or their their adverts for the late, latest heavy metal rock compilation that you can get mailed <laughs> to you, right. you will definitely definitely really appreciate this. It raises some fantastic questions about our relationship to technology, about our relationship to, to, to local media. What does it mean to kind of use antiquated technology? And really, should we be trying to strive towards perfect fidelity and to, towards ever-increasing consumptive effort? Um, or should we be trying to kind of just create the very best art we can with whatever tools we have to hand? And if that means all you've got is 1,500 quid and a few old a bit of old film stock and some VCR players, uh, then you should do that. Yeah, I think that's, for, for me, that's like honestly something about this film that's powerful, 
right? Is like imagine imagine a world where like a film like this wins an Oscar or whatever the Oscar equivalent is in my like socialist cinema utopia. <laughs> like, you know, like, like like imagine imagine we're a world where like if somebody presented you with a film that looks like an '80s VHS ripoff public access TV. And, and you you could approach it honestly as a piece of art without having like all of the metatextual couching it would need to be in order to exist in that space because somebody was just using that technology to make a piece of art mm. and we didn't have like the overhanging capitalist discourse of like you need an excuse to use something that bad you know like like you can't just use something like that because you like it you need a reason to suck right because that's the framework we have is that this this is a you, you, you have to have exceptions, right? You have to go, oh, well, you know, like this film looks really bad, but it's doing it intentionally because it's because it's trying to resemble it's, something that looks ironic. bad. Yeah, but like... But, we, but we've talked like before the, that we are, we are an anti-irony podcast. We are, yeah. we are sincere boys in our feelings and in our takes. And this is a very sincere piece of filmmaking done by somebody who clearly, by a team who clearly really loved the, 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 the time that they were... Uh, you know, recreating, and I still, I'm still borderline convinced that this was, this is, this is a 1980s film that you're just lying <laughs> to me about it being made in 2013. Right, like, um, like there's, the, the, there's like a metatextual level of marketing where this is a movie from the 80s, but in order to make it saleable in the 20 teens, <laughs> they have to be like, oh no, we made this last year. We just uh, tried to recreate the 80s aesthetic, and then now it's a gimmick, and now it can sell again. There was one final thing. There was one final thing I wanted to talk about. Um, which is several, we've mentioned this in passing, but I think we haven't quite like teased out what it means, which is that several of the adverts are fast-forwarded. Um, so my, the question is, who's <laughs> watching the WNUF Halloween special? I thought you were about to say, Ash, could you explain fast-forwarding to, to the Zoomers in the crowd? And be like, well, before you could click to skip to a part of the video, you had to manually roll the tape forward using the fast-forward button located on the player surface of the VCR. <laughs> so I was absolutely readying myself to do like a technological mini-dive into what fast-forwarding is, so uh, absolute 180 there. Well, I think that that's like, you know, like my, my, intro, my introduction to this was like, like, it sounds ironic, but, like, I was totally earnest when I talk about this movie as how we construct beauty. Mm. And part of that is, like, it's that um, Ansel Adams quote, right? Like, there's always two people inside of every photograph. There's the photographer and the person viewing it, right? And then this film just makes us aware of that. Because I guess, like, you know, maybe there are people in the audience who don't necessarily know the mechanics and the ins and outs of fast-forwarding, right? But, like... Um, if you grew up before, like, the 20-teens, when, like, online video really became a thing, like, the mid to late 20-teens, you probably watched a lot of VHS rips, because, you know, public access TV would occasionally screen a movie, and if you wanted to watch that movie later, you would just pop in a blank VHS tape and hit the record button, right? And, like, some of the fancier models could skip commercials for you. But, like, are they incorporated features that allowed you to skip commercials? But, like, most people just recorded straight through the commercials, and then when you got to those bits, you would just hit fast-forward. And so yeah. this film is is giving us kind of a real textual space inside it, right? Because it's kind of us that's meant to be hitting fast-forward. 
we're meant to be the person with this VHS copy in hand, and you want to watch the WNUF Halloween special and not the commercials for the strip club. So you're hitting fast forward through the commercial bits and through the little news segments because you want to get to the good stuff. Yeah, I had a different take on this, which Ooh, is very much tied up in the ending. Um, and I'm just wondering how much can we get into, how much can we spoil about the ending? Uh, everything, because we are a spoiler-heavy podcast, and no, no, no spoiler reviews are for cowards. So, at, at a certain point, it, it turns out we find out in pretty horrifying fashion that everyone who is um, going into the house is, is either knocked out or is being killed off. And they're being killed off by a cultish group that have appeared on WNUF's local news talking about the satanic dangers of Halloween. Um, and in perhaps uh, what I found to be a genuinely like toe-curlingly horrible scene, and I have a fairly high tolerance for on-screen violence, our, our news reporter host is grabbed by one of these people, tied up, and has his tongue cut out. Uh, and because it's filmed in this um, deliberately lo-fi way, it is like wincingly real. Uh, which, of course, it wouldn't be if it was on a kind of 4K camera with perfect makeup and effects. But the thing that I thought as, as the uh, show ended was that what we were watching is we were watching the record that was being kept by these people of what they had done. So it wasn't us who were skipping through the, credit, uh, through the commercials. It was the perpetrators, the, the murderers of, the, of these people. And we were watching alongside them because uh, one of them says into the camera, welcome to your Halloween show. Enjoy your mm-hmm. Halloween show. Um, which is addressed to us, right? Because that's what we've become. We've become drawn in. We've been laughing about it. We've been going, ah, look at it, it's amazing. And then suddenly it all gets very real very quickly. So I always thought that, that, well, after watching it, I became uh, sure that actually the people who were fast-forwarding, it means that we were watching with someone, and the people that we were watching with were the perpetrators of this violence and of this horror. I really like that read. I think that's really nice. And I think that I think that kind of like begs a lot of questions too that are latent in horror cinema conceptually and I think like horror and gothic fiction more broadly, right? Uh. Is that, you know, there's kind of always the question of like what are we doing when we draw pleasure from watching the torment of others? Yes, absolutely. And I, I think that that is definitely something that the end of this movie wants to engage with. Like what have you been doing the whole time you've been watching this, you know? Yeah, you enjoy stuff like this? Isn't that a bit weird? <laughs> right? Like, it, it asks questions about, like, why why we like horror more broadly. Like, why on a conceptual level we enjoy this, right? And I think yeah, that that's, that, that's a question that our, every episode of our podcast explores to a certain extent is, like, why why does this media exist? Why do we engage with it? Why do we, why do we continue to love it as, as fans and as a society more broadly? Because the thing that really that really stayed with me is that right at the end, mm-hmm. what we have is white noise on a screen, and then you have the noise of a videotape being ejected, uh, and the blue screen of a of a TV on standby. And yep. I'm like, this is not my TV, right? This is mm-hmm. whoever owns the videotapes television, and the people that we know own the videotape 
are the same people that have been murdering people inside this haunted house <laughs> and cutting out people's tongues. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's like a diegetic break to the rest of the experience of the film, and it does add, like, this metatextual layer of horror to it, right? Like, who who is the watcher here? What are we doing as a metatextual watcher to this person? Yeah, absolutely, which I thought was a really interesting ethical question for a, a film that could basically have just been like a, a kind of cheap knockoff parody to, to, to actually raise. And, like, my, my favorite bit, actually, uh, of the ending, one of them anyway, <laughs> occurs just before we get the cut to static, the final cut to static. Because mm. we return to our news anchors um, uh, doing doing their news anchor thing, and it's it's um, a clip from, I think it's a week or two later, and, and one of the news anchors is like, you know, our, our township is still reeling and recovering from the horrific events that happened two weeks ago on Halloween to our own WNUF anchor and our own staff. And we want to just extend our thoughts and prayers to the community at this time. And coming up next, we learn all about a puppy that can save you from fires, or something like that. Yeah, like it's, yeah. they have this really yeah. somber thing of, like, it's been a tough week here at WNUF, as mm-hmm. all of the guests and the hosts of the Halloween special have disappeared. But Christmas is just around yep. the corner, yep. everybody. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's, it's like, 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 that is the absolute, like, like, that for me is the most parodic element of the, of the entire show. And like, like, because like, this walks a fine line between kind of like parody and satire and being very earnest. It, it's it's kind of in all those spaces simultaneously, even though that sounds contradictory. But that final line, where 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 they where they do the thoughts and prayers, and then they go like, and coming up, like you know, and immediately cut to it. It's it is every news broadcast that can't yeah. actually deal with the agony of some horrific event it's talking about. And so all they can do is compartmentalize it in the most psychologically painful way possible and then throw to, to the happy news about a mall Santa. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is great. It is now one of my favorite Halloween movies to watch at this, the spookiest time, the, 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 the most holy of days for all uh, ghosts <laughs> around the world. Please do think about adding WNUF WNUF's Halloween special to your uh, viewing rotation for the 31st of October. And I, I will go out and say that Martin Scorsese has made no films that are even slightly as good as the WNUF Halloween special. <laughs> Take that, Scorsese. <laughs> so that is that for the very first annual Horror Vanguard Halloween special. Thank you to everybody who listens to the show. Um, as always, please do get in touch with us on Twitter at Horror Vanguard. Ash and me are terminally online there as well. <laughs> um, but if you enjoy the show, if you'd like to support it, this is our very first Halloween special. If you'd like to see many more, please do think about joining the Spine Gang through patreon.com slash horror vanguard. You get access to the Spine Gang Discord server. You get access to all of the book club episodes. You get access to early access to all of our episodes. And you'll get to be the first in the know about some super spooky plans we have coming up in 2020. Right you are, John. And I just wanted to take a moment to thank all of our current Patreons. You really, uh, we couldn't do the show without your support. It definitely takes a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort to keep uh, the, the spooky wheels rolling here. And each one of you uh, really, really adds to, to the joy that we have and the community that we're building. So thank you. And this, the, this, it's the spirit of the season taking me over. What, what do you think about that, John? John? 
John, are you still there? Did I lose you? <sighs> Damn, it looks like we lost the call. Wait. What, what was that sound? Oh God, Darren Aronofsky with a hook for a hand. No, no, stay back. We didn't mean it about mother. Oh God, no, ah!